welcome to this ski podcast special. We're here today talking about train travel uh, to the Alps. Uh, you might be watching this live or you might be listening to it on the uh, ski podcast or you might be watching it after the event. In which case, just to give it a bit of context, uh, today is the 8th of September uh, and we're currently in a, in a quarantine a situation in the UK that's preventing travel to most European uh, countries. Uh, hopefully, uh, when you uh, listen to this in the future, that won't be the case. And hopefully this winter, that won't be the uh, case. And what we're trying to do today is just to give people a lot more information about you know, why it's good to travel to the Alps by train from an aesthetic point of view and from a, an environmental point of view and, and how you can go about it as well. And I'm delighted to be uh, joined today by two experts uh, in this uh, field who are Anna Hughes from uh, Flight Free UK and uh, Daniel Elkin, the founder of Snow Carbon um, UK site. And I'm just going to hand over to you uh, briefly, if you could just give us um, a little uh, background on, on yourself. Uh, I'll start with, uh, with Anna. Yes, yeah, so hi, um, I'm Anna Hughes. I'm the director of Flight Free UK, which is a campaign group that was set up uh, just about a year and a half ago uh, to encourage people to fly less. So we run a pledge asking people if they could take a year off flying. Um, and it's, yeah, it's kind of a way to reduce our personal emissions, but also to inspire that kind of social shift away from aviation. So I personally haven't been on a plane for more than a decade. And that was a choice that I made then because I was worried about the climate and wanted to reduce my carbon impact. Um, and it's something that I feel quite strongly now we're at the point where um, our emissions are still rising and climate change is just absolutely getting worse. So it kind of um, it, it was something I decided I would try and encourage other people to do the same by launching this campaign um, in, yeah, in, in order to kind of see how we can address the lifestyle changes we need to be taking. Right. I can see in not having flown for 10 years, you are way <laughs> ahead of the curve uh, there. <laughs> yeah. But um, Daniel, I think Snow Carbon started quite a long time ago uh, as well. Do you want to give us a bit of background to uh, your uh, kind of involvement in train travel, let's say? Yeah, that's right. Snow Carbon started in 2009 um, as an independent guide to how to travel to ski resorts by train. I've been writing about this as a ski journalist, this subject, since 2004. Um, but after kind of five years of, of, of doing features for newspapers and ski magazines about how great it is to travel by train, because it is great, I got tired of um, meeting people in ski resorts who'd flown, who'd spent, you know, eight, nine, ten hours door to door flying to the resort and who hadn't realized or didn't know how to travel by train and people were always so interested and I thought they're really you know it's great doing features in ski magazines and newspapers but there really needs to be some kind of independent comprehensive um, resource so that skiers can find out more, more about how to do that and um, once I've once there is, I'll let you know. But in the meantime, there's snow carbon, <laughs> which tries to be that. Um, and hopefully, I mean, it is. I, I know it's useful because we get emails from skiers out of the blue saying, so happy to have discovered uh, your website. But it's always a work in progress. There's always so much more to um, For sure to, to improve. But yeah, I mean, traveling by train is a, a really yeah. great way to go. 
Well, they're, they're, I mean, there's a huge yeah. amount of information uh, on there on the website. And, you know, hopefully we're going to be able to uh, add to that uh, today um, a little bit. What I wanted to do just to start off with was really to rather than looking into which we're going to do a bit later, you know, how you can get out to the Alps and the different routes and the different ways of uh, doing it and what it's like for families and how actually to go about uh, booking it. I just wanted to, you know, touch on the the reasons for traveling by uh, train and uh, to start off with i'd like to just you know ask you anna i know you you're very um uh, up to date on the actual the carbon uh, cost and the emission side of things i wanted to give a if you could give a little bit of background behind that yeah so the carbon cost of flying is very high um we often underestimate how high that is um and especially in comparison to train travel, it's um, a lot more polluting, of course. So, uh, for example, within Europe, you are uh, you're saving about a a ninety percent saving on your um, emissions if you travel by train. Um, there are so uh, there are some really good statistics on the website Man in Seat sixty one or Seat sixty one dot com. Um, he does a lot of comparisons of particular destinations by train and by plane um, and lots of them come out kind of 90% saving 80% saving on this particular um, route uh, so uh, high speed rail across France is really good Eurostar is really green in terms of um, its carbon emissions and when we're talking about we often kind of don't factor in the emissions of our of our flights into our carbon footprint we think about the food we eat we think about the car we drive we think about uh, how we heat our homes those kinds of things Uh, but flights tend not to really be part of that conversation when actually if you were to sit down and add up the flights you've taken and calculate how much carbon it was for the over the course of a year you might be surprised at how how high a proportion that makes up um somewhere that's good to do that is the WWF website so they have a carbon calculator that can help but it's definitely about becoming more aware of how our flights do do contribute to our carbon footprint. For for sure in fact Daniel uh, and uh, I have looked at some research uh, from it was a few years ago now admittedly and really useful for being able to uh, to compare um, the carbon cost of flying relative to going by train which is you know, so much lower, as you say, mm. uh, um, you know, it can be eight or nine times uh, as yeah. much to fly. I should have mentioned Eco Passenger as well. So they do European routes specifically comparing tra- uh, train, plane, car, uh, driving and um, coach, I think. So they, they're also useful to look up. Hmm, okay. And um, oh, I should point out as well that actually if you load up a car and it's fully, uh, uh, um, the occupancy is good above four, and that's actually even better uh, than flying as well, but it's still nowhere near uh, going by train. Absolutely. So um, lots of people will say, oh, but isn't driving just as bad as flying? And yes, if you are driving a single, single occupancy car, then it's pretty excellent pretty much comparable um but then of course if you're if you're going with your family specifically on holiday or whatever yeah you can divide those emissions by four if there are four of you in the car whereas if you're flying you have to multiply your emissions by four because it's per passenger which the emissions are for so um yeah it's it's a massive saving and then coach travel as well uh but yeah um, top of the list in terms of carbon savings is always rail yeah and and it's not just about um the actual carbon saving side of things which obviously that is 
you know, for me, starting Ski Flight Free and uh, uh, Flight Free UK, etc., the, the the primary motivator. But Daniel, you've done a, some really brilliant videos in the past of just about the aesthetics of train travel and how you know the journey itself is just so much uh, better. Do you want to expand on that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, um, absolutely. When I first started skiing, I didn't know anything about skiing, so I just I just went with some friends. So I was actually traumatized. Um, by the first journeys that I had, because I didn't realize <laughs> how long and torturous the journey by plane is. You know, you think it's a quick flight, uh, 90 minutes or so, but the whole thing translates just consistently wherever you go, it seems to take eight or nine hours. And when I discovered that a railway track near, um, near the resort of Sousy in Italy, actually, and, and, and thought, okay, how long would it take and realized it's it's not much difference door to door we started traveling by eurostar by tgv we then tried overnight trains we went all sorts of routes and every time the experience is so different i mean when you're with a bunch of friends sitting on a train around a table you can bring food and drink on board you can go down to the cafe bar you look out the window the scenery is always changing it's just a fantastic experience it's really really enjoyable and it's such a different way of doing things from kind of going from queue to queue through airports so yeah the aesthetics around you the comfort the space the fact that you're on holiday from that time that you step on the train makes a real difference yeah i mean i'm i'm so with you there obviously uh, kind of preaching to the converted in this uh, little bubble that we're in right now but i love the fact that i can you know turn up to st pancras and within 10 minutes, I can get off the train in the platform coming up from, from Brighton, which is where I'm coming from. And I can be in the departure lounge in uh, St Pancras uh, International because that whole process was such a stress when you go to uh, an airport having to uh, go, go, go through security or check in, go through security, go through passport, etc., etc. This takes uh, such a long time. There's so many, so many deadlines you have to get through when you're flying compared with uh, going by train. Completely agree, totally. And yeah, it's amazing that that people often look at you know journeys, compare journeys, and think, oh, you know, I think it's going to be a couple of hours quicker by by plane. And yet they'll put themselves through this whole, you know however long that whole to the airport waiting flight long transfer they'll still put themselves through that thinking they're saving time but they're not they're losing time because they can't even use that time in any kind of meaningful way in the way that you could on a train whether you want to like spend time chatting with uh, with the friends or family you're with or just doing some work or reading a book or whatever you want to do um that's quality time and i think we're realized since lockdown that we've kind of almost given a different meaning to time we've had so much time in a way so how do you want to spend your time that's the question and i'd um, recommend spending it on a train yeah yeah well that, that's a, a really good uh, point as well i think it's the uh, the holiday uh, itself if you fly it kind of seems like it only starts when you get to resort but if you travel by train it starts the moment you hop on the train and uh, and that in itself is a joy. Now I mentioned you London. Have the of bubbles, bubbles waiting. <laughs> <laughs> I mentioned London St Pancras uh, just then, 
which is you know how most people start that journey from there if they're traveling from the uk uh, and when i say start i mean the international part of it because obviously people can be traveling from all over uh, the uk but essentially that is a hub for train travel uh, now mo a lot of people's idea of train travel to the alps is probably they've heard of the direct train that goes from st pancras to the uh, tarantes to moutier and balsamaris and serves lots of those big resorts and unfortunately i have to kind of i'm going to hand over to uh, daniel now we've both been involved in a a campaign called save the ski train um because unfortunately eurostar have announced their intention to cancel that service certainly for this winter so daniel do you want to bring us up to date with how that campaign and petition etc are looking yeah that's that's uh, right eurostar has announced that it would be hugely unlikely that they could be persuaded for this season to reverse that decision but they they have said that they haven't um cancelled it for the following season they're still open to um to making it operational and this train was such a popular train you get one at london it stopped at ashford as well in kent and then you're direct all the way to moutier aim a plan and bourg saint marie so you have about 20 different um resorts and some really big names and some great names um in there and you're dropped off minutes from the from the slopes i mean it was a, such a no-brainer um journey and that's why it was so popular at half term it would sell out all the ticket all all 900 so 750 ticket seats would sell out within four hours of it going on sale um but eurostar are under such pressure it seems um to try and consolidate and cut costs that they have cancelled that service for for this season They've also interestingly, in, interestingly just announced that they've they are suspending services from Ebbsfleet and Ashford um, until further notice. So really, they are kind of pulling everything quite tightly to um, to their chest and really only only running yeah. services. So what I think what we're hoping. If I understand where we are at the moment uh, correctly, I mean, there is a petition that people uh, can sign and there's over 10,000 people who signed that petition uh, now, I think. Um, right. But we're hoping to kind of start some dialogue with Eurostar to try and get them to understand the kind of demands within the ski industry and maybe direct them towards putting something in place for, for the winter 21-22. Yeah. Absolutely. There's the petition that anyone can sign, and that's had over ten thousand um, signatures. But we've all, we're also we've also written a, a joint letter by more than one hundred and sixty um, travel companies within the ski industry, uh, including ski resorts too, to Eurostar, saying let's work together, let's work more effectively. Because actually, the way that Eurostar has operated for years is they just make decisions by themselves. Uh, they don't consult with people. And they end up, I mean, the ski train, because it was such a fantastic thing, it sold anyway. But Eurostar has stated this season that one of the reasons that they are cancelling the train for this season is that they're worried about being able to sell tickets. And yet, in the past, they sold tickets without um, engaging very much with the tour operators. Uh, there are plenty of ski tour operators that have wanted to... Um, be able to package up the ski train as, as part of a rain inclusive ski holiday and 
Eurostar basically ignored them, um, much to much to their frustration. So there are some really easy wins actually where Eurostar could sell the train more successfully. So if if you know circumstances are more challenging with COVID, but if Eurostar is open to working with ski resorts, with tour operators, and with um, um, being open to kind of suggestions for how things could be, the information provision could be better, then I think they would yeah. Well, we have to have to keep our fingers crossed uh, on that score, but uh, it does seem that, uh, you know, there's a lot of people behind it. And you mentioned, you know, 140 different companies, a lot of those in France as well, who are very, they're very conscious, not just of the fact that it's going to you know, affect local business in those hubs such as Bourg Saint-Maurice and uh, Moutier. But there's a concern there that it's going to increase both congestion and pollution in the valley because it will lead to more people uh, inevitably driving into resort or arriving by a vehicle instead of arriving by train so That's right. you know, they're right behind it uh, as well uh, i'd like to hand back to uh, anna though if i uh, if i could yeah. because you know the save the ski train uh, campaign is is one of them out there in your intro you mentioned a little bit about flight free uh, uk and I wondered if you could just expand on that because it, you know, it started off as an idea really focused, I think, on 2020, and it's you know grown significantly from that. And I know you've got some different plans for for 2021 uh, as well. I wondered if you could tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, so we're a behaviour change organisation, um, and we run the Flight Free 2020 pledge, which is to take a year off flying. So it's it's all flights for the whole year. Um, just addressing the fact that many of us just simply book a flight without thought. And exactly what Daniel said, we kind of like his experiences talking to skiers who just hadn't even considered going by other means. Um, and so part of this uh, campaign is to, if, if you set yourself a challenge and you say, okay, well, I won't fly for a year. Let's see what the other options are. And suddenly this whole world is open to you that you didn't really know existed. And that the, the hope and the idea is that that will then lead to longer term behavior change. So that's kind of how behavior change works. Uh, we try something for a while. We realize that it wasn't completely awful. And then we uh, parts of that we filter through to our regular lives. Um, so, yeah, we, we launched Flight Free 2020 back at the beginning of last year because we were collecting pledges ahead. And then, of course, uh, coronavirus hit and I mean I have to say Flight Free 2020 has been far more successful than we could possibly have hoped for. <laughs> um, obviously we it's been a lot easier for people to uh, make that commitment to not fly when there are no yeah, flights available. I know um, obviously we want people to choose it rather than just be forced to um, and also to choose it for kind of cognitive reasons uh, rather than just that the alternatives aren't there. Um, but yeah, I mean, half of the campaign is inspiring people to travel by other means. And of course, none of those travel options are available, particularly at the moment either. Um, I mean, we can, you know, we've already touched on this. The, the experience of traveling over land is just so much more enriching than flying. So yeah, it's not just about the benefit to the environment. It is also about the benefit to the traveler. Um, so yeah that's that's the campaign we are going to be running it next year as well so uh yeah flight free 2021 will launch at some point soon um but um yeah it's just it's just one of those things that will kind of lead to a reduction in aviation that, that we really need um because we've just kind of grown accustomed to booking a flight and and we just don't we so there was a there was a comment on our Facebook page not that long ago, which said, 
I literally didn't know you could take a flight to Germany, which uh, made me laugh because, of course, you could take a train. Sorry, I said flight. I mean, yeah, train. No, sorry, I, <laughs> yeah, I literally didn't know you could take a train to Germany. And uh, yeah, of course you can, but it's just not on our radar, which is part, um, quite a lot of the point of our campaign, just communicating that there are other options and these are the reasons why you, we would like you to take them. And, th- and that's interesting because it is re- remarkably similar to kind of what Daniel was saying earlier in relation to skiers, not understanding that actually it is relatively straightforward to uh, to take a train mm. to the Alps. And although people may have had in mind you know, that direct service, in fact, I mean, I'm not entirely sure how many times I've taken the uh, train to the Alps. I certainly did it at least three times last season. And I didn't take that direct Eurostar uh, train at all. And in fact, uh, you know, because it only travels on a Friday and a Saturday, it's a week to week service. It doesn't really kind of suit me. I'm often going for four or five days or something like that. And normally I would take Eurostar to Paris. Then I would change and get on a different train from Paris uh, with a SNCF. And it's, so it's not just that direct train. And in fact, that direct train only services the Tarantes, as uh, Daniel mentioned. You know, you can travel um everywhere in the alps uh, broadly speaking so um daniel i wondered perhaps some people are put off because of the idea that you've actually got to change trains in uh in paris and uh i wondered if you could uh, you know explain a little bit how uh how difficult or easy or the process uh you know for that yeah some people are definitely put off by by that but they shouldn't be um one of the reasons that people put off is they assume uh, that the only way to change Paris, to change station in Paris from Garda Nord to Garda Lyon, um, is by taking the metro. And the metro is easy. Uh, it's actually two stops. It's the RER, which is kind of a suburban train. Um, and you don't have to haul your luggage up or downstairs. There are escalators um that will do that for you um but it's not glamorous and especially at kind of covid times you don't want to be down down a a subway with um with lots of people if you can avoid it and you can avoid it because there are taxis that can take you uh across paris we're talking kind of about the distance between houston and victoria i'd say um anyway it's about it's kind of 20 minute 20 minute taxi ride um it's quite pretty you see lots of sites of paris on the way um the taxi rank is about 25 meters from the end of the eurostar platform it's not a long way to walk you don't wait a long time um it's not expensive it's about 20 euros for a four-person taxi and there are taxis that will take your skis so that's easy but if you prefer the concierge service and being greeted by a taxi driver with your name written maybe in blue pen or or black ink if you prefer um on a on a nice whiteboard greeting at the end of the Eurostar platform you can also book that so you know you'll be straight onto um a taxi that way and also that's a little bit more expensive but not a lot more about 60 euros for an eight person taxi yeah so it obviously depends on that yeah, it depends on the size of your uh, uh, group, doesn't it? I mean, I would say mm. I don't have skis, so therefore changing is easier for me. I don't have to haul that, but I've still got a big ski bag with ski boots uh, mm. in it, etc. 
but I, you mentioned it's only two stops on the RER now. It's definitely not glamorous uh, down there. It's a long way from, from being glamorous, but it is so easy. You know, once you've worked out which route uh, you have to take, and, you know, there are a number of videos uh, around uh, you can find them on Snow Carbon and on uh, Ski Flight Free and, and also on Seat 61, I think, as well, uh, that make it, you know, watch that in advance. It's so easy to understand. You go down and literally it can take me. I, I tend to leave a relatively short amount of time between arriving into Paris and getting my connection normally from Gare de Lille because it, I, I can be from one to the other in 20 minutes. Now, that's... I wouldn't book a train that leaves half an hour after, but the, the time difference is is not huge. And if you're getting a taxi, how long would you be allowing for that transfer across uh, Paris, Daniel? If I was getting a taxi, I'd, I'd definitely allow allow an hour between the Eurostar arriving and the CGV departing. But I'd much rather have a more relaxed um, time and allow ninety minutes. The fastest I've done with the RER from the Eurostar arriving to arriving at, at Gardenor to getting to Gardenor station is 40 minutes. So if you've done it in 20, you must know something I don't. Well, I don't know. Maybe I've just been uh, just been lucky, but um, uh, or maybe I'm cutting it too fine. But that's certainly how it's uh, how it's worked for me. And, you know, we, we might come to this when we come to uh, booking later on. But uh, actually, there is another kind of fix if you're traveling over to uh, Switzerland or, uh, or um, Austria, where you can catch your train from Garda Lest. And Garda Lest is a 10 minute walk from Garda Nord. Uh, very straightforward, nice to go uh, uh, above ground, you know, even if uh, if you wanted to not be like me and cut it too fine and left yourself, uh, you know, half an hour to uh, get in between, you'd still manage it comfortably. Uh, and it's a beautiful station as well, um, regardless. Sometimes it means you have to change uh, one more time uh, on the way. Um, but uh, I'll put some links uh, into the show notes and uh, onto Facebook for that. But um, you know, if you're concerned at all uh, about making your way across uh, Paris, then you know, a taxi and a pre-booked taxi are, are ways around that. Um, mm. I have I been... Just... Yeah, sorry, go on, Daniel. I was going to say, I mean, anyone who's... who's um, I think it's bonkers that anyone that would not do a beautiful train journey from the UK all the way to the Alps simply because they are worried about sitting in a taxi for well they're not worried about sitting in a taxi for 20 minutes maybe they just don't know but you know that that small break in the in the chain if you like that um that has to be done by taxi or metro i mean that is enabling you to have a fantastic journey instead of airport queue to airport queue or a massively long drive it's enabling you to save 90 percent of your carbon emissions i mean really it's it's worth doing because once you try it you will probably not go back to flying well i think that's probably true enough um on in relation to train travel you know i mentioned uh, early on we're recording this in uh, early september we have quarantine but we're also in what people uh, might call a new normal as well now i have uh, traveled out since we've been in this i went out to uh, switzerland in july uh, and skied in uh, zermatt and Sasfe. And I went out by Eurostar, changed in Paris and went down. 
And, and that um, was pretty straightforward. It was the first time I'd worn a mask for a long time. Now, I was wearing a mask for most of uh, the 11 hours or whatever it was it took me from uh, Brighton uh, out to the Alps. But actually, on the trains themselves, there's a lot of space. Now, I haven't flown, um, so I can't really comment what it's like flying, but I am led to believe that flights don't have kind of social distancing in place uh, per se. But, you know, Eurostar, the what the trains that are running, I think are running at 40% occupancy. And they certainly weren't running at full occupancy on SNCF as well. So I felt completely safe when I was traveling. I had lots of space, uh, you know, didn't really feel uh, it was a particular um, issue. Um, have you traveled, Daniel? Have you been out by train in Europe at all since, since lockdown was eased, since we were able yeah. to travel? Yeah, I have. I, I went to Meribel um, in the Tarantes by Eurostar and TGV. I actually went out there via Lille. I took Eurostar right. to Lille in the, um, in the evening. I had a fantastic dinner in, in Lille because there are loads of amazing restaurants. Stayed in a hotel, took a TGV from Lille to Lyon. So I didn't actually have to change, um, change station. And then I took a local train from Lyon. On yeah. the TGV, yeah, it was, I mean, and the Eurostar, people wearing masks it's not much it's not so much fun in a mask uh, it's not in a mask um but it's still way better than flying for sure I mean, I think, again, yeah i think it's a space i mean did did you find that there was a lot of space on the train when you were traveling or was it was there, wasn't, there wasn't a lot of space no the occupancy was uh definitely lower so you were always kind of um yeah it's not be too you're not sitting next to anyone or you're not sitting yeah. opposite anyone. Well, um, there have been a couple of uh, studies as well in relation to, you know, your chances of catching coronavirus if you're travelling by train uh, are relatively low. I'm not sure we'll go into the stats on that now, but I will share it so people can, uh, can have a look. But I thought what I'd like to do now, I mentioned Switzerland, and that might be a good place uh, to uh, to start. I thought we could look at specifically how you might travel to different places, uh, at different destinations uh, in the Alps. So starting with the, you know Switzerland. I mean, when I when I travelled uh, to Zermatt, it was Eurostar to Paris, Mexicard to Lyon, and then I went to uh, direct to Basel where I then travelled within uh, Switzerland uh, after that and actually got, um, I think it's called a Swiss travel pass. And those are brilliant, a Swiss travel pass. You can travel anywhere in Switzerland uh, for a certain number of uh, days. Um, I actually went mm -hmm. for the uh, the first class option, so even more space <laughs> on board uh, as well. Um, and similar, you know, for going to Arosa, you can go to Zurich as well and change there. Um, Anna, I wanted to ask you, you were planning to go out to, I think, Strasbourg, you said, what was the route that you were meant to be going on there? So I was supposed to be going to St. Gellin, which is in the east, oh, yeah. the far east of Switzerland. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it was via Strasbourg. So it would have been a, a really easy transfer across Paris, as you mentioned, just a 10 minute walk from Garden North to Garden Lest. Um, right. And also, I mean, we, we've kind of hinted at this. The, the transfers themselves are experiences in themselves. Who does not want to have a lovely glass of Cremant while waiting for their train in Paris? <laughs> right? Uh, so anyway, uh, then change in Strasbourg and then down to Basel. 
and then it was a, a Swiss train. But um, yeah, I it was actually really easy to book. Um, I had to work out exactly which route would give me the best price and, you know, which would be the right time and then how to how to get it, yeah. um, how to buy those tickets. And th- so it can be. Um, I found it easy to book because I have traveled that way before um, and yeah. I and I know which sites to go on. Um, but I I totally understand that actually booking a flight is super easy. You go to one website and you book one ticket, uh, whereas actually booking the separate legs and working out the timings as as wonderful as the experience is. And obviously the carbon savings are huge, uh, but the booking process can put people off or, or just t- take a little bit more kind of. Uh, mental energy um like it's like like with anything once you've done it once or for the first time you are way better equipped to then do it again and again and i it doesn't phase me now booking into you know uh, european rail travel through however many countries because i i know yeah well we might talk a little bit more about booking sort of on the running order for a bit later but i tend to go to you know buy off two different sites which is the eurostar site and the sncf site i don't tend to go to one of the aggregators because Mm. i like to be able to choose my own uh, connections because clearly as daniel pointed out i like to cut it much finer than everyone (laughs) uh, everyone else and i also don't uh, drink very much so even that cremant sounds really nice but you know i just like move through move through uh, so i would go to the those two uh, eurostar direct and the uh, we sncf side yes and a tip there often you would get a cheaper price if you go direct through sncf rather than going via eurostar because you can buy tickets from eurostar that include other train providers that gives you one free yeah. ticket which is which is useful in case your eurostar is late because they will put you on the next train whereas they won't do if you've booked a ticket separately but the price is often better if you do it direct with the provider yeah, and I think also I found with uh, we SNCF is that the price differential between going second class and first class is often only 10 euros or something like that. Mm. And for me, it's definitely worth it because I tend to work on the uh, journey, you get more space, you know, the Wi-Fi is there. Uh, so I often do that. What, what about you, Daniel? How do you go about uh, booking when you are traveling? Um, yeah, it's a really interesting topic because, like Anna said, it's so much easier to book a flight than it is to to book a train. The more you 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 start booking trains, the better you get at it. But the underlying system that that enables you to search for schedules and then book tickets, the underlying kind of algorithms that power that whole European booking system, and 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 on which every ticket booking website relies whether you go to Eurostar or Rail Europe or Trainline or SNCF they all are interrogating this kind of underlying system which seems to have no name um, but has <laughs> certain algorithms that work not very well um, maybe not as bad as the um, exam fiasco but <laughs> the, what happens is is that when you for example and, and this is why you should not trust what you see online in terms of those being the only journey schedules or even those being necessarily the best prices. Um, I'll give you one example. If you are looking at a return ticket into um, a destination in Europe, let's say Borg Samaris, um, by Eurostar and TGV, you would normally, any sensible person would, um, would be doing a return search. You might only want to go one way and stay out there forever, but you've got to come back to the UK eventually 
start start your life after the ski holiday again so you put in a return you know you put your outbound journey and it would say here are some trains and you pick one because that looks like the best schedule the best price and then you'd uh, it would say right choose your return and very often it will show either not available for many of of the trains Um, and what the system is actually doing is failing to match up certain kinds of tickets on your outbound journey with certain types, types of tickets on your return journey, and it pretends these trains are not available or don't exist, but they do exist, and you can just test this out by opening up a new tab, completely new tab, um, and just putting in a one-way search back from the Alps to, to the UK, and you'll see, wow, there's all these trains and all these different tickets available. So the system's broken. Um, very often it does work, but very often it doesn't work. And the way to kind of um, tell whether it's working or not is A, yeah, just do do single journey searches as well. It's better to buy a return in terms of price and in terms of that whole journey booking if you can. But if you are seeing that the, the options that you would expect are not there, there are rail booking agencies who have expertise and who have systems that are not made available to the end consumer. Every ticket website you go on, Eurostars site, SNCFs, Trainline, whatever, they're trying to make it look really simple. They're trying to make it look as easy as buying a flight, but it's not as easy as buying a flight. And so these rail booking agents, um, we could put the, the names in the in the chat. Uh, Trains Europe is one, Festinio Travel is another, International Rail is another, Rail Canterbury is a fourth. Um, they are excellent at um, finding tickets for you, making it really simple, putting it all together. Um, so I would highly recommend these. And the reason more people don't know about these um, agencies is that, you know, they're, they're small outfits. They don't have huge marketing budgets. They don't have huge investment by venture capitalists, but they provide an absolutely wonderful yeah. service. Uh, I mean, I have uh, in the early days of uh, my train travel, I don't know, whenever that was, I used to go out to St. Anton a few times uh, um, and out to the Alps. I, I used Rail Canterbury and they put together for me and they charged like a small uh, fee, but it was, it was easier. I think now I don't, seem to have those uh, problems on the WNCF, but I'm probably just paying over the over the odds if I was closer. If I was paying more attention, Daniel, maybe I could I could uh, save some money. Um, what I'd like to do, though, is I know Anna um, might be on more of a, a deadline than us. So I wanted just to uh, discuss if we could um, a little bit about taking the train to Scotland, because I have this Every now and then in my in my darker um, times, I wonder if Scotland is going to be the only place that, uh, you know, we're going to be able to ski this winter because we're not going to be able to uh, get to and from the Alps. You can obviously still go to places. And I very much uh, recommend at this point just to remind people there is a, a great campaign run by the Daily Telegraph called Tests for Travel. And this Thursday um in parliament they're debating support for the travel industry and uh, i recommend if you can to contact your uh, mp and lobby them to uh, to be voting in favor of a, a testing process on, on a arrival into the uk however i wanted to talk about scotland because it could be that scotland is going to be much more popular uh, this season and anna i know you've been up to scotland by train mm -hmm. uh, quite a lot how have you found that experience yeah um i well i love 
uh, UK travel in general. And yes, you're right. I've been to Scotland many times on the train. In fact, I've just returned a couple of weeks ago from the Cairngorms, which is a good right. adventure spot if people are keen to go skiing in Scotland. Um, and so that was on the Caledonian Sleeper, which is um, it's it's really comfortable. Um, it's quite noisy, so I would rec definitely recommend earplugs and an eye mask. Um, but yeah, I, I sleeper trains are fantastic because that. Oh, there's a train going by right now. Hopefully you can't. <laughs> that interrupts that's okay um, that's okay i think that's perfect that's perfect that you arranged a train to go past during our train travel. yeah um yeah sleeper trains are fantastic because they're like a moving hotel you go to sleep in one city and you wake up in the next and uh between london and scotland for me it's a no-brainer um although having said that i also love traveling during the daytime to Scotland because it's such a beautiful journey, especially going up to Edinburgh on the East Coast train line. That is uh, such wonderful views over the sea once you reach kind of uh, just north of, um, well, Northumberland. And um, yeah, it, it's, um, the West Coast as well is absolutely beautiful. So going up to Glasgow. So, so can um, I ask, what was, your, what was your route for going to Aviemore then? Did you change somewhere so, to do that? No, no, so it's, um, Oh, well, I suppose so. It's an Inver it's the Inverness sleeper train, which does stop in right. Aviemore. Um, so you can either get off a few stops early from Aviemore or go all the way to Inverness and then um, come back on the train or we ride, we ride our bikes. So, uh, yeah, it was a right. cycling trip around the around the mountains in, um, in the Cairngorms. Um, yeah, definitely recommend. Although, unfortunately, the restaurant car is currently shut because of the coronavirus. So um, we had to have a little picnic in our bunk, <laughs> which was fun. Okay. But um, yeah, that's part of the joy of it, isn't it? The kind of, like Daniel said, sitting around the table with yeah. your mates and a bottle of wine. So yeah, um, that that hasn't happened. That's not happening. The right sleepers now. themselves, are they uh, like how it used to be? Um, we'll come on to this later, but there used to be many more options for an overnight train from Paris out to the Alps. And they used to have couchettes uh, with the three on each side. Is it is it similar to that? Um, so the Caledonian sleeper, they would have in-seat uh, tickets, uh, but th those are not available right now. But you, that would be one of the options in normal times. You can just choose to sit, sleep in your seat. Yeah. Or you pay more for an actual cabin. And th these are more than couchettes. It's an actual bunk bed. Um, and you would you can you can have a single occupancy fee or a double occupancy fee. Um, and they're all kind of uh, shut off from each other. So it's a proper separate cabin and it's got a sink and everything. So, uh, yeah, that. Um, okay and what are the, what are the timings for that overnight train so Roughly. um to so all the way to inverness we boarded at eight o'clock 9 p.m departure and then it was arriving around 7 30 in the morning um they it goes much slower than it would during the day um yeah in Avi, so Aviemore would be perhaps an hour before the Inverness arrival time and then um, but if you were to go to on, on another if you go to Glasgow for example on sleeper you would leave much later perhaps 11 p.m and then arrive because it's not quite as far right okay well I, I am really hoping that I can uh, try out uh, train travel to Scotland mm. uh, this winter and actually you know do some skiing uh, up there I chatted in the last episode of the ski podcast that we just recorded went live uh, yesterday. I was chatting to Mike Richards, who skied up there in March, and he got the you know the 
what I understand to be the uh, the stereotypical Scottish experience. Two days where it rained and was really windy and nothing happened, and two days of really beautiful skiing. So we'll see yes. what it what it's like uh, uh, yeah, this winter. But I'm I'm hoping to get up there. Well, we had five days of absolutely glorious sunshine, which was as much of a surprise as anything else. <laughs> so, yeah, you can get wonderful weather up there. Cool. Uh, Daniel, I wonder if I can ask you, you know, I mentioned how yeah, back in the day I did travel overnight from uh, Garda Lyon down to the uh, Alps. I think I'm right in saying there's only one overnight service from Paris now, which goes to Briançon. Is that correct? And You're have you ever been on that? I have. I have been on right. lots of um, overnight trains from Paris, and they used to run from Paris to um, to the Tarentaise and also to the um, hotels, to the Clues. Right. Salon de Saint-Gervais for resorts like Léger, Morzine, Avorias, Megève um, and Saint-Gervais. Um, but then in 2016, SNCF culled loads of their uh, night train routes. It was brutal. Uh, and they left just a couple remaining, which is the Paris to Briançon route, which is um, get, which gets you to Mont Genevre and Sir Chevalier, for example, to the resorts you can get to there. Yeah. Sorry, um, Daniel, can I just briefly yeah. interrupt? Because I know that Anna has to leave us now. So I'm really pleased that we managed to get that chat in about Scotland uh, before you left. Thanks yeah. very much for your time, uh, uh, Anna. Um, and you know, good luck with the uh, campaign for Flight Free uh, UK in 2021 as well. We'll be following that very closely, Brilliant. and I'll make sure Thank that you. I share all your social channels as well. Thank you. Lovely. Thanks so much, Ian. Bye. Bye. Uh, great. And so, sorry, you're just talking about going overnight. So that train to Briançon, obviously, that would be suitable for Sir Chevalier. Uh, is it is it near enough to go to uh, Des Alpes and out the ways as well? Or is that too far? Is that uh, the wrong end of the valley? Too far. Yeah, yeah, that's too far. And did they do that as a couchette still with the, the kind of um, six-person couchette? Yeah, you've got a six-person couchette or you've got a four-person couchette. Four-person couchette is what they term as first class. But really, right. the only difference is a slightly wider bed and there are four of you instead of six of you. Uh, I think the colour the colour of the bedding slightly different, but apart from that, right. there's not very much. I mean, if you've got six people with ski luggage in one couchette, it's quite a tight squeeze. Um, I would probably recommend booking the whole thing, but just having five people in, so you've just got an extra bed to put all your stuff, and then you've got a lot more room. Um, yeah. But either way, you know, you're you're leaving Paris at about um, ten p.m. And you're arriving into Briançon at eight thirty in the morning, so you're going to get two extra days on the slopes going that way. That that is certainly the con the converts. You know, we're a big fan of that, and you know um, that also used to be the kind of a uh, uh, setup. You know, in the old original, uh, I say original ski train, the ski train that when I worked at Bladen Lines back in the nineties, uh, you know, we were selling, mm. where you would um, catch the train overnight and arrive on the Saturday morning. So effectively, you got two extra days skiing. Yeah, but what's what's exciting is that although there's only this uh, in France, there's only this one kind of um, overnight line to the to the Alps, the Southern Alps. Um, President Macron has said he wants to see night trains come back across France. So there are um, initiatives 
within SNCF for that to happen. And um, from December, from this December, there will be open access for private rail companies to um, to run lines. And there are some entrepreneurial companies um, who've got in touch with me who are looking at starting night trains to ski resorts in the Tarantaires. Um, that is really interesting. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that would that would be uh, great because my understanding as well is that um, there's a big demand within France for this. We're not just talking about, you know, the UK. It's like people who live in Paris would love to be able Absolutely. to hop on a train on a Friday night and wake up in a ski resort on a Saturday morning. Totally. I mean, even the, the you know, the SNCF service, which was a real kind of bare basics service compared to the kind of uh, what, for example, the Austrians provide um, to, to resorts in Austria, for example. Um, you know, they were hugely popular with um, skiers from Paris and, you know, you'd, there'd be a really good atmosphere on the train. There's no cafe bar on those SNCF services because probably some accountants did some sums and took out a cafe bar to put more more beds in, which is a real shame because part of the, the romance and the experience of the train is being able to go to a cafe bar and socialize and 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 have that space um but on other overnight services like the um alpen express to austria you do have yeah. a cafe bar which is a party carriage um but i was just saying yeah that the, the french services were really popular and people would bring wine and and, and a picnic on board and they'd have a, a lovely time in their couchette with um with their friends or with their family um before having um having a sleep and waking up right by the yeah time. i mean i've I, i've done that service so you know a whole bunch of times and certainly yeah a great lots of people would just go for the weekend and travel by train so they get themselves a couple of days uh, skiing in and in a country i know that uh, france have just they've just announced a big investment in a, a kind of green new deal and i can't remember the uh, the numbers now but it's interesting what you said about uh, you know reintroducing those night services because mm. like uh, you know many other countries there is a uh, increasing uh, demand from younger people in particular for more environmental ways of travelling could I just, you mentioned that service to uh, the overnight service to uh, Austria, the Alpen uh, Express. Now, I think you mentioned to me when we were you know, preparing for this, uh, that hasn't been confirmed yet for this winter. Will that be running for this winter? Do you know? It looks like it won't be. Um, there's some information right. just in Dutch on um, Alpen Express's website. that Yes. Yeah. And I think it's the case that they won't run it for this season which um is a shame but it's also understandable they're a small private company um right. and you know it's a it's a risky season to be um to be running service okay i mean that would be a real shame because um i didn't get the opportunity to do that but the way to access it was to take eurostar instead of to paris but to amsterdam change in amsterdam and get that overnight train down and then it, it, i think the train subdivided or maybe you changed and you could access you know really large number of austrian resorts uh, by train quite comfortably um with that service um the train, but divided, I, you know, but the train yeah. divided but you didn't you didn't need to get off because one part of the train um went to blue dense um, yeah the other part of the train went to towards St. anton 
I may have it wrong. Anyway, it splits in Tyrol yeah. and it accesses so many Austrian ski resorts. Um, yeah. And many of these resorts have like St. Anton, for example, or St. Johann or Zellemsee or Kitzbühel. They actually have a station in the village. So there's no transfer effectively, you know, yeah. you're walking five minutes or jump, jump in a taxi five minutes to your to your hotel, depending on where, where in the village it is, but so convenient. There was a party carriage on the train um, where it sold, um, sold drinks and had a DJ who played the most horrendous, horrendous <laughs> tunes. I mean, when they played ABBA, eventually it was a, a massive relief to, um, to a lot of people in the, in the bar because before that was, uh, there was quite a lot of kind of Austrian apres-ski techno, uh, which I think personally was the wrong choice. Um, <laughs> but, um, uh, well, any, anyone who's been to St. Anton and experienced a crazy kangaroo or the moose of it will be familiar with that type of music. Uh, it can be a little bit too much DJ Yotzi uh, sometimes. But, you know, traveling both to Austria uh, by train is, is possible as well. I mentioned that Gardeless connection in Paris, you know, just a 10-minute walk from uh, Garde Lyon. And I've traveled out to St. Anton like that before to Zurich, uh, change it Zurich and then get on a train that goes to uh, uh, St. Anton. And that, that's a day journey, you know, again, Absolutely. relatively long, but very straightforward. As you say, St. Anton, you know, have a, a station uh, in the resort there. I mean, that's my only experience of uh, Australia. Yeah. But if you'd stayed on it, I think it goes on to uh, Innsbruck after that, doesn't it? So it must service all of the uh, uh, resorts further. Yeah, on. It, it does. I mean, traveling, traveling that way, if you wanted to go kind of beyond St. Anton, it's quite a long journey. It's an absolutely stunning journey, by the way. Mm, I mean, yeah. As you know, you, you, you know, when you travel through Switzerland, you go past, first you go past Lake Zurich, and then you go past Lake Wallensee, and you are just ringside seat on these beautiful expanses of uh, of water. I mean, it, it's incredible. And then you head into the Alberg Valley, and on either side you have mountains rising up, beautiful villages, castles. It's just it, it's magical. I mean, it's such a great experience. But by the time it gets to St. Anton, if you've travelled out from 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 London, it's about seven p.m. Um, so to get further to Innsbruck, you'd be arriving later. But what you can do, which is brilliant for many different journeys, is to take a Eurostar the night before, stop in Paris. There are plenty of great hotels by Gare de Lyon. And then yeah. in the morning, just walk, you know, 100 metres across to Gare de Lyon, get on a, an early morning TGV, and then you get to your resort much earlier than you would have done otherwise so and that's yeah. a that's a great way to that, do it well. and that could be a good way to do it because unfortunately i have to admit that on one of my previous trips to uh, st anton um i was a bit too relaxed on the journey i'd just been enjoying it too much me pulled into <laughs> st anton and i didn't yeah. leave myself enough time to get out of the train and it pulled up pulled out before i'd even managed to get onto the platform and yeah. i went and the next stop is a place called landek i think and i had to get a cab yeah. from there and it was quite late already and it just uh, uh, wasn't uh, I ideal. I was so too relaxed by my train journey. So uh, bear in mind that yeah. they're only on the platform for a, that's a certain that's, amount um, of time. At least, you got off, at least you got off at Landek. The destination on the train that you were on is actually Budapest. Yeah, that would that would have been, been. Uh, ideal. And what about <laughs> what about Italy? We've discussed getting to France and mm. Switzerland and Austria. 
Um, I did write a piece for um, a company called uh, Ski2 a while ago. They particularly wanted to be able to explain to their clients how they could go to Champaluk in the Aosta Valley. And actually, I discovered that it was nowhere near as as difficult as I thought it might be. It was pretty straightforward to get to Turin and then they would actually pick you up from there. But have you ever been out to train uh, by train to Italy? You said Sazadu earlier, I think. Didn't you? I have. I remember the... Um... I remember the seeing that you're writing about that um, in that blog, and I did look up the journey myself because I wasn't that familiar with it, and I realised it is easier than um, yeah, easier than I thought. But a lot of a lot of resorts in Italy aren't uh, aren't nearly as train accessible as, for example, the French French ones or the Swiss ones. Um, sometimes it's just that the, the the ski resorts are not that close to a a train station that you can yeah. get to easily from the UK kind of got got to go around the back and then then onto some um, local trains and it can just take a little bit longer um, but there are resorts for example Sousy Do Sestriere um, that are on the TGV line from Paris and Sousy Do is 15 minutes from a station called Ux. Um in fact that's where I first saw that railway track after having right. flown there and, hmm. and, and thought, wow, I wonder how long it would take. And I assumed it would take a long time, but it doesn't. Um, it's virtually as quick as flying. In fact, I've done kind of plane versus train races um, to to Sousy for, for, I did one for the Observer a few years back. Um, great journey, really easy. You're a start of Paris, TGV to Ux. Um, and you can also get an overnight train to resorts in the Dolomites. You can go overnight to Innsbruck, um, and then get a transfer from there. So that's very possible. Um, or you can go overnight. There's a Tello sleeper train from Paris as well. Yeah. Um, so I think it, what's interesting at the other end as well. Yeah, what's interesting about this is that you know you, you can effectively travel to any destination uh, by train. There's easier ways yeah. to do it, uh, and it can become more complex. Maybe if you were doing that, you might want to take advantage of uh, some of those agencies you mentioned. But you can always mm-hmm. ask mm-hmm. Uh, via social media to Snow Carbon or Ski Flight Free for a, a bit of advance, uh, for a bit of advice as well. Um, I was interested as well, like some people might be deterred because they wonder what it would be like uh, to travel with with kids uh, on the train. And um, I have got just did an interview earlier this week um, with uh, someone called uh, Sam, who lives here in Brighton, who took her kids out by train to Lazar. I'm joined uh, just now by uh, Sam Haddad, who is a a freelance travel journalist. You might have seen some of her uh, pieces in The Guardian, which is where I often often see them. And um, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on, uh, Sam, is because I think that you went out on the direct Eurostar service last year uh, with your children. I'd be interested to get a bit of feedback as to how you found travelling on that as a family unit yeah so um, we decided to do it last winter um i'd been feeling a lot of climate guilt um like yeah, I know, right. um, a lot of um skiers and snowboarders feel um and yes instead of flying we decided to travel i think it was around december the 30th so after christmas um we decided to get a room in london the night before just to sort of add to that excitement um oh, yeah. so we could sort of um, do a bit of Harry Potter, um, the sort of platform at um, mm. King's Cross Station, um, and yeah, have a bit of a wander around London. But yeah, so the train experience was great actually. The kids, the kids really enjoyed it. I 
I found it a really comparable, you know, it, 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 it was, I fa- it was favorable compared to getting the plane just in terms of the time it took. Right. So when we were, when we were on the train, we had a lot of stuff to do. So I took a lot of snacks. Um, they have, they listen to sort of audio books again, they're Harry Potter obsessed. So Sorry, how might, old are your children? Um, so they are seven, they were seven and nine. Um, right. when, we, when we did that journey. Yeah. Um, so we took we took the iPad so they could sort of watch films, but because they were in such a Harry Potter phase at the mo- at that mm-hmm. time, they they just wanted to listen. So hours sort Brilliant. of passed. Um, yeah, without us really realizing, and, and just the the not having the faff of getting to the airport and, and all the extra costs of that. So you know, paying to sort of park your car. Um, yeah, we we did sort of really enjoy it actually. I think yeah. you know with train travel with uh, with children, I went with my kids to Amsterdam by Eurostar in October last year and I think one of the great things is that you you're not constantly rushing to get from that one mm-hmm. deadline to the next so you're, you're yeah. kind of trying to drag the kids along and okay we've yeah. got to get through you know the the check-in procedure at St Pancras is amazing really is yeah yeah so you kind of get get your snacks from the M&S food um that was sort of there anticipating all that they would need and yeah I definitely found that because you know you've got about six bags haven't you so you're constantly who's got this bag who's got that bag and and to be able to just get onto the train and know, you know, we, yeah, we're, you're going to arrive in Les Arts ultimately. Um, and I think it was quite exciting for them, the whole going under the sea. There were lots of questions of, why can't we see the fish? You know, all, all that, you <laughs> know, they're, they're at the age where they're still, you know, getting the train, you know, it's an exciting thing. And I, I also yeah. find it quite a romantic thing. I um, I interrailed in my, in my gap, uh, not a gap year, actually, it was a summer of university. Um, so I've always liked, loved the idea of getting the train to Europe. Um, so to be able to do that for um, a ski trip, yeah, it was amazing. Yeah, and I guess, um, I mean, did you find with the kids as you start to get to the, as you started to get to, the, let's say, the foothills of the Alps and you can start to see snow in the distance, a bit of excitement, uh, you know, in, in anticipation of arrival? Def- definitely, yeah. Um, we were, there were a lot of families in our carriage as well. So, you know, there was sort of chatter, you know, there was a lot of, where are you going? And, oh, okay, well, this is the stop for the Three Valleys or, everyone it felt you know quite a sort of communal atmosphere which you which you wouldn't well you certainly wouldn't get flying into somewhere like Geneva where yeah people traveling for business or um commuting or that sort of stuff so yeah it felt like we were all in the same you know oh yeah where are you going to hire your stuff oh that's a good resort what what are the best runs for kids um so I think I think they and we you know enjoyed enjoyed that side of things as well um yeah and looking on a map you know knowing that you go through Paris and now yeah foothills of the Alps and and you know as far as i mean that journey obviously takes a relatively uh, a long yeah. time um whether you know you found with the kids of your age they kind of got through it okay or by the end were they pretty tired because you're leaving pretty early in the morning and you're arriving mm. in the uh in the yep. late afternoon evening mine weren't tired they were the opposite they're um it, <laughs> to sit still for so long they're two boys so they do get quite energetic but what we would sort of do you know we would let them wander up to the buffet car or um we sort of did do stuff like that and then when we arrived yeah we certainly didn't put them to bed too early but it was I think there was a slight tedium with it but I think I think we we had we had like I don't know board games chess we had all those sort of travel games as well so it wasn't just right you're going to listen to this or watch this you know they had whenever they were bored of something I would you know produce some other thing 
Um, yeah, and that's the, great. So you, you need to have those things kind of up your definitely. sleeve on longer journeys yeah. anyway. But uh, to me, one of the advantages of going on the train is that you can, as you say, you can get up and wander around. You're not just mm -hmm. kind of stuck in your seat as you would be, uh, you know, if you're on a, a flight. And obviously a flight exactly. is, is shorter, but um, mm -hmm. from a convenience point of view, you know, it's so much easier, I think, with uh, with children. They en enjoy the whole experience of, uh, of traveling out there more, I think. Yeah, I think I think they did. I think they would if you would say to them, yeah, I think that they would think it was less hassle. I think I think, yeah, you know, the last two hours they probably are. Well, I think actually, no, there's the bit in the middle. They get a bit bored. But then when they get mm. nearer to the Alps, they're sort of yeah. feeling quite excited. Um, but yeah. I think yeah, having having those travel games, definitely essential and and mixing up who's sitting with who um, and yeah, trying to make friends with other people. Yeah, they were all. They were all sort of helpful things. Cool. Uh, okay. Well, you know, that's really that's really uh, helpful and you know, good feedback, uh, Sam. So thanks very much for that. And yeah. uh, I'm now going to hand back, and we're going to discuss a little bit more about other aspects of uh, of train travel uh, to the app. I know that you produced some brilliant videos about families travelling by train, Daniel. I wondered if you wanted to contribute anything uh, about that, what it's like to travel with children. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I don't have kids of my own, um, but I've been on so many train journeys and seen how much fun and just how calm children are when they're when they're on the train. It's amazing, and it's that that actually inspired me to to, to make the film that I did a few years you're, ago. You're already making it appeal to parents. <laughs> yeah, the kids. Yeah, the kids yeah. are calm. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, done. <laughs> well, actually, um, Sam was telling me how she, um, her kids were listening to audio books of Harry Potter during much of the journey. And I thought, wow, you know, now that is good. If I could get my kids to do that, that'd be amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you've seen it firsthand yourself then when you have you traveled with your, your kids? Yeah, well, actually, we've only been to, we went to Amsterdam uh, by Eurostar. Um, but one of the things you know we mentioned earlier in this uh in this recording was the aesthetics you know the joy of train travel and how the journey you know starts as soon as you leave and it, it is like that so much more uh, relaxed you can get up you can walk around you can look out the windows etc you can sit as a four and play a game of cards or uh you know in our case uh, um you know i'm trying to think what games we play but we took a bunch of games uh with us um or just uh chat or you know if it's going to be a while then they can have their periods where they can watch a movie or something like that mm -hmm. and you know that worked really well and actually it was before the direct um eurostar on the way back from amsterdam so we went to bruges and chain no brussels and changed and brussels. came back uh, uh as well so we took three uh, journeys across that and it was it was really good but um yeah what i'll do is i'll put that video into the into the show notes for this with kids but you know sam again pointed out that as you're coming in uh to the alps you get that sense of anticipation as you're starting to see the mountains and the snow on the top of the mountains and the kids are getting excited about it all and that's a lovely part of it as well oh it's fun it's fantastic i mean I, the, you know the film that i made i i went to st pancras with uh with a camera and i had it uh, i went on the ski train um at easter so there was lots lots of kids on it and um i just interviewed children randomly on the train and you know the excitement is so palpable and they were making friends with you know with other kids 
um, and just having such a fantastic time. It was really, uh, really inspiring. Yeah, cool. Okay, well, um, I think we've probably covered all the different bits and pieces I was hoping we're going to, and hopefully anyone listening uh, to you know this podcast or watching this uh, via Facebook will have found it helpful um, and maybe made it, uh, you know, taken away a couple of the, the reasons that uh, might have been stopping people from making that decision to travel by train. But um, if they want to find out more about Snow Carbon, uh, Daniel, where should they go? They should go to the Snow Carbon website, which is www.snowcarbon.co.uk. I was just going to say one tip, when you were talking about uh, traveling to Italy, um, and kind of places that are further afield where you might yes. perhaps get your tickets through a rail booking um, agent. Um, the rail map of Europe is something that I would advise anyone that likes train travel to get wherever you're going. It's a fantastic, fantastic map that shows all the different routes um, in Europe. And it costs you, including postage, like £12, I think, from um, the website. We can pop that in the yeah it's as well it's europeantimetable.eu i think is the website it's just brilliant i mean i i regular regularly buy them to give them as presents to friends and you just see right. people's faces light up as they see this map and it's 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 great for planning and it's great for inspiration because once you see it you're like ah oh, i didn't realize you'd get from there to oh wow oh, i see you know you see yeah. how everything connects up and it's just just brilliant yeah, I love that as well. Well, okay, you can find out more about that at Snow Carbon and Ski Flight Free on Twitter and Facebook. And uh, I'll also put in uh, links for um, Flight Free UK, Flight Free 2020 for Anna, who was with us uh, earlier. And uh, otherwise, um, yeah, hopefully, uh, listener and viewer, you found this useful. And um, we'll all be able, hopefully, we'll all be able to travel out by train uh, to the Alps or to Scotland. Uh, this winter. So thanks very much for your time, uh, Daniel, and uh, we'll sign off for now. Hi there, listener. Ian here. I just wanted to let you know that you can now support the ski podcast at buymeacoffee.com. Researching, Recording, editing and publishing the pod takes up a lot of my time. And don't get me wrong, I really enjoy it. You know, I love talking with people about skiing. But if you do enjoy listening to the podcast and you'd like to support us, then you can literally buy me a coffee, or in my case it would be a cup of tea, but the idea is the same. So just go to buymeacoffee.com forward slash the ski podcast. Thanks very much.